to the Navigating Dental Insurance Podcast, where we don't take from insurance companies. Here are your hosts, Mr. Jordan Comstock and Mr. Ben Duinay. This podcast is sponsored by BoomCloud Dental Membership Software, www.boomcloudapps.com, and Veritas Dental Resources, www.veritasdentalresources.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Say No to PPO's podcast series. This is the Navigating Dental Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Tuyane, with my co-host, Jordan Comstock. Jordan, how are you? Doing good, Ben. How are you, man? Very well. You know, on most days, you're the host and I'm the co-host. So today, I'm fortunate <laughs> to be uh, the, the, the person to open this up. Yep. You know, I, uh, I got to say something really funny. I got, Do it. I got my first complaint on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it like? Let's hear it. No, it's just, it's just, it's funny because um, there's a, there's doctors have different Facebook chats, uh-huh. and the the interesting thing is that uh, the, this one client uh, made a comment that uh, she couldn't get a hold of me. Funny thing is, I was on vacation and had my out of office on, and she emailed and emailed and emailed and emailed. On and, the Fourth of July, probably. Yeah, on the Fourth of July, <laughs> and then she complained about it. Ah, oh, this guy's so so horrible, so terrible. And when she emailed me on the day that I got back, I responded right away. And and uh, uh, several clients emailed me and said, "Ben, this person is like bad mouthing. What should I say to defend you?" I was like, "Yeah, just let it go. You know, it's there's <laughs> some people out there that you just can't make happy." But I felt uh, That's I, true. I felt like a badge of honor that I finally got my first complaint after. Nice. <laughs> I don't know. Nice man. But, uh, I thought I'd mention that just to let everybody know that we're human. You know, you can't avoid. Absolutely. The, you can't avoid the patient that's always going to complain. But you can. The, you don't have to be depressed because if you've known you, you've done all that you can, uh, don't be depressed and don't uh, beat yourself up. And that seems to be the going theme these days. You yeah. Know, Dr. Costas's podcast, his introduction is regaining your passion. And I was thinking about that the other the other day. If you have to regain your passion, that means you probably lost it somewhere right yep and Absolutely, yeah one of my mentors uh, business mentors uh, uh, dan gilbert who uh, attended a lot of his trainings in in detroit and he has one this ism called ignore the noise and ignore the noise what that means is that some days you know you do all that you can and and people for some reason you just you can't make the angry person happy. That angry person yeah. is always going to be angry. But at the same time, you shouldn't beat yourself up for all the, you've, you know, you've done all that you can. And the problem that I've seen in many practices is that they change all the policies just to accommodate the one person. That one issue person. And then ni- <laughs> the 99% of the patients that are happy are punished. And you see the same thing in politics. Laws are passed to punish, um, you know, the majority that of the good people. That one person, yeah. 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 And it's because just that one little person. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> so, anyway, not what we're going to talk about today. No, nope, <laughs> no, nope, but good side talk. <laughs> yeah, we we do have uh, an an awesome guest on today, a good friend of mine out of Arizona, Amy Deshaw. Amy, how are you today? I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. Thanks for listening in on our uh, sidebar chat there about the the, the complaint that <laughs> oh, I got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the... I don't have any of those, but when I do, I'll be sure to call you first. Yeah, good. Good for you. <laughs> Help me through that pain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the, the first time Sometimes I got it a... can be painful. It can. It can be. The yeah. first time I got a cease and desist from an insurance company, my world just fell apart. I thought really? it was like a punch in the gut. I thought, oh man, they're going to take me to court. 
And then I started to think, I didn't do anything wrong. So yeah, they're just trying to threaten you. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I go to the attorneys and the attorney read the cease and desist and they started laughing. They're like, we send these things out all the time, but they're, they're, just they're to scare people. Yeah. Just to scare people. But he said, you can ignore this. You didn't do anything wrong unless it comes from a court or a judge. You don't have to do yeah. anything. So we just, uh, I, you know, I, filed it I in got the a, trash can. <laughs> I got a cease and desist as well. And I, when I got it, I just started laughing cause I just thought it was ridiculous. Um, just what they were asking me to do. But and then again, I talked to you know my attorneys, and they're like, ah, this—they're just trying to threaten you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's mainly what they do. But anyways, yeah. so Ben, you've known Amy for yeah. some time, right? Tell, kind of tell us your your background with with knowing Amy. Yeah, so Amy, Amy is a, a, a professional coach for dental practices. I guess she also wears the hat of management consultant as well. One of the better ones that I've seen that's out there. Worked, she's worked with a number of our clients. And um, I'll let Amy talk about her background, but I met her. Yeah, I met Amy oh, just sorry. through networking. As a matter of fact, there's another gal that does um, the exact same same type of business that that I do. I think that we we probably met through her. Was it Becky yes. that we met through? Yes, we met through Becky initially. Yeah, so Becky Baylock is another awesome um, fee negotiator. She works in the same space oh. that I do in the industry. And uh, we met through From her. Arizona? Yeah, yeah, yeah Arizona. Okay. Uh, Becky was a... Um, running a group practice for a client, uh, a, a friend of ours out in Arizona, and that's how I met Amy. Uh, Amy, I come to know her as um, a true expert when it comes to pretty much everything and anything that you want to understand in the dental practice. Amy, why don't you go ahead and give your, just the, the listeners a little bit of your background, where you came from, where you started in dentistry, and what you're up to these days? Absolutely. Wow, Ben, thanks for that background. Woo! I hope I can live <laughs> up to that. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I have been in dentistry now for over 25 years, and nice. I am proud to say that it is still my passion. I started out um, thinking that I wanted to go into law, and at the time, I have an older sister who was going to dental school. And while I was in the law library writing briefs, she was in labs doing fun stuff, and I joined her at times, and I thought, man, this is much more fun than being in a law library. So <laughs> information and data was something that I always had an interest in, and I found a lot of fun in what she was doing with the lab work. So I shifted my focus and got a background in business uh, in the University of Louisville in Kentucky, You'll hear my accent come out every once in a while. (laughs) And uh, my sister is now no longer a practicing dentist. She's full-time faculty at University of Louisville, believe it or not. Cool. Um, Cool. Awesome. So she got me into dentistry, really, and I'm the little sister, so I helped her buy a practice. And had I known more of what I know now, then I would have never let her buy the practice. So um, (laughs) I got the fortunate opportunity over the years to work in every role except for the hygienist and the doctor in the field. And um, went from every role to getting the opportunity to be trained by a nationally known firm who's no longer in existence uh, on the consulting realm. That was Mercer Advisors over the years, if anyone knew them. That was the MT Osmanji years. Um, He's still around, but he's doing Spear Center now, but I was professionally trained by a group of individuals there to be a consultant, and the focus was on transitions, team training, leadership, as well as financial planning and portfolio management for our clients. So I received a phenomenal education there, and I have to say that that really gave me the basis and the, the foundation along with my clinical experience, because I have my RDA license as well, 
but it just gave me the knowledge and the background to really be able to help clients in a more comprehensive manner. So my passion really became more in-depth when I saw the challenges that my sister was going through as a business owner. And as a purchaser, what happened in the whole process of her buying a more cosmetic-driven practice than it was a healthy client base, patient base, whatever you would like to call that type of a practice. So she had a lot of struggles through the years of trying to build a practice in, on the fourth floor in a seven-story building. So over wow. the years, I refined my general coaching knowledge. I used to be called Success Essentials, and I refined my methodology to D4 metrics. And the D obviously stands for dentistry. The four stands for the four quadrants. As I started to have to compartmentalize data for clients, I broke it down into four quadrants. And then the data and analytics and the metrics of information that is within those four quadrants. So I came up with the name of D4 metrics. Cool. Very cool. That's that's kind of how I take my focus. So I'm not, I, I want to really call myself more of an analyst and a strategist than I am a consultant. Because I'm looking at the information in an effort to be able to get me to an endpoint. And how do I get to that endpoint with all that I have as far as the data that I've captured and gathered from that practice? So I look at it a little bit differently than some consultants do. And it was based on the training that I received from many years back and then my own personal experience in working in practices. So that's where it all started. And how long have you been doing? How how long have you been doing the D four metric system? I guess is is what I uh, want to know. D four metrics I've been doing for about three and a half years. Rebranded my name two years ago, and prior to that was in the development phases through Success Essentials, doing the coaching that I'm doing, but then started to shift my model and finally rolled it out two years ago fully. Great. So I've been consulting for over 12 years and independently now for six myself. Very cool. Awesome. So it's myself. And then I have two gals that do some project work for me Um, locally. They are both here. One's uh, really, really a whiz on Dentrix, which I am myself. I can probably run reports for you in Dentrix in my sleep. Um, Do you... do you find in Dentrix, are, are the reports pretty accurate in Dentrix? I've heard lots of complaints just, I actually just through talking to, queries, yeah, what are your? Um, versus just running the preset reports. I run more query reports uh-huh. through the data filter section, which allows me to get the information that I want more filtered. Um, so I prefer Dentrix software over the others only because I can do those types of query reports. In EagleSoft, they're already preset. And those are the two main systems that I see out there. However, I am teaching myself Curve right now and Dentrix Ascend because I have some clients that are on those products because people are wanting to go more cloud-based. And then more and more people actually are getting on Open Dental. But Open Dental is a similar system to Dentrix where I can extract and filter data out as well. What I love about being able to capture the data out of the system is I can export it into an Excel spreadsheet in some way, shape, or form. And then I can have a better understanding of the age of the patient base, patients due by certain months. Then I can plan, for example, here in Arizona, we have seasonal patients. And I teach my clients how to define and categorize these patients within the database. So that's one of my quadrants, this is the patient base. Let's awesome. Identify, so- yeah. 
Go ahead. So yeah, let let's go into that. Um, so you talk about your D four uh, metrics. Let's break it down. What what are one of those metrics? What do you look at when you're helping practices? Yeah. So there's the four quadrants are facility, team, patient base, and schedule. So what I first look at overall is facility-wise, like I mentioned, my sister's practice. Seven-story building, fourth floor, no one knew she was there. Yeah. Is it a freestanding building? Is it in a shopping center where there's a lot of traffic? You know, do you have to cross over a double yellow line to get into the parking lot? You know, yeah. You know, what's happening from an external standpoint as far as facility and location? Then we go into internally and look at technology, you know, number of workstations, number of operatories. And we really start to break that down to all the things that are within the facility. Then I go into the team. So now I have to have people to service my patients because I have a facility now. So I need to make sure I have the right people in the right roles, have those roles defined. No, do I have the balance of clinical to uh, administrative personnel to service the patient flow that's coming through. And then I go into the patient base because now I have to know what is the makeup of my patient base? Who do I have? How many do I have? How many are insured, non-insured, age, demographics, and so forth. And then I go into now that I know my facility, how many chairs I have, how many people I have to service patients, then I have to say, here's the patients that I need to service. What's my schedule going to look like? Do I open hours seven days a week, five days, four days? What's that look like? So it becomes a pretty complex and very comprehensive assessment of where we need to go, but it's all driven by the data and the analytics and the information, the metrics that I get out of the dental software in an effort for me to begin to strategy plan what needs to happen. So as an example, in my patient base area, I'm working with a practice right now that has a small ortho component within the practice. They're a dentrix-based practice, and they I asked them, how many patients do we have in ortho? Well, we capitalized their full name, okay? So mm-hmm. I can run a list with all capital letters, no. So what I had to do was go into the database and create a recare type for ortho and have my assistant go in and tell me all the patients that I have in ortho now, set up that category. Now I can generate many different query reports. I can run a query report for how many patients have due dates, how many patients have appointments, how many patients do I actually have in ortho. So for example, this practice has over 90 patients in ortho. If we took their average fee for an ortho patient at $3,000 because they're doing fast braces or six months files or whatever, if we're doing $3,000 at 90 patients, that's $270,000. So do you think that I want to have a better understanding of that component of my business in my database to be able to generate information and know where these patients are and who needs to schedule and who's not scheduled and so forth? So understanding the patient base and defining that is where the metrics and the analytics and the data come into play. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, so and, you, and you do like you do an uh, initial analysis for the practices as well or or kind, yes. kind of talk us through that. Yes. Yeah, so I will go into a practice and do an initial assessment and I will spend a day in the office and I actually come in in scrubs because I don't want someone oh. from the outside a patient to know that I'm an outsider. Yeah, And that allows me to be more back in the flow of what's happening with patient seating, with handoffs from the back to the front, 
with the flow of what's happening as I'm standing behind walls and listening and seeing what's going on. Then I can also go up front and find out what's happening from systems and the front office. From my perspective, when I look at a practice, there's three main things that I look for, and this really is relevant to what you guys do, is I need to ensure that I have a recall system in place, I need to ensure that I have a treatment follow-up system in place, and then a financial system in place that manages my insurance money and my patient money. So that's one of the first things that I look for when I'm looking in the patient-based quadrant of what I do in those four areas and I'm working with the front desk. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. <clears throat> so the insurance yeah. areas, I'm assuming that um, the insurance areas, you know, the facility, probably not much to do with insurance, the team, the insurance that's, knowledge, that's I, don't know some, if that, I don't know yeah, don't know if that's a must for at least one or two people in, in that area, but the patient base. So what, mm -hmm. what you see with many, many practices these days is that 80 to 90% of their patients have some type of dental insurance. Um, how, what are some of the, the more important areas or, or areas of training that you see that's of need in dental practices as it, as it comes to the patient base and, and the it's insurance component? Really great question. Yeah. Where that comes into play and in, in what I'm looking at with these clients, for example, I mean, uh, if I can use patient exam or client examples, that's the best way to describe because they come up all the time. I'm working with a husband and wife practice, um, and they have certain days that they want to work. They have a certain philosophy in how they want their practice to run. Well, we have six operatories, and I have an abundance of patients right now. With that being said, they don't even have enough days of availability to get all the hygiene patients in, so we had to get into their database and first define how many patients do I have, how many of those have what insurance, and you can run these filters and queries within your dental software, and then we can take what our reimbursement is for whatever those plans are, Cigna, MetLife, Delta, Delta, you know all of those, all the plans that are out there and say, here's my codes that I use in my hygiene department. What is my reimbursement on these particular codes? And when's the last time that I got a fee increase? Have I worked with Ben on getting this done? And if not, then let's look at these plans that could possibly benefit us more and maybe eliminate some of these other plans and stop being so insurance-driven and be more patient-centered and still have plenty of patients to service and now have a higher per-patient value versus doing more volume. So. Right. That's something that Very I look cool. at with clients to be able to help them really understand what they have to work with because then I can take that data and say, here's what I know. This is how much I'm going to get. So now I can build an ideal day schedule for my hygiene providers if my doctors want them to do 1,000 plus a day. Then how are they going to do that with the makeup of the types of patients that they have in their practice? Another practice I'm working with right now has quite a bit of PPOs, you're correct. I would say that they're probably at the 80 percentile of insurance. And when I look at that, I said, you know, how many are on each plan? Well, I have over a thousand of my 2,500 active patients on, guess what? Delta. Delta. <laughs> I was going to guess. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Delta. And no one knew how much we get on a Delta Crown. So I said to the doc, wow. do you know what your reimbursement is on a Delta Crown? 
Well, I don't know. I thought that it was five plus, and I said, well, you're not right. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine somebody that loves to embezzle money. You know, that's like that's like the the (laughs) key ingredient. You don't know what they're going to pay you. Okay, I'm just going to I'm going to pay the doctor maybe 700 bucks and pocket the rest. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. So So, you did 355 crowns last year. How many of those? Delta. No, just overall. Overall. Just just the 2740 last year. And I said, how nice would that be if over half of your patients that are on Delta you got a higher reimbursement because you got your fees negotiated and then you didn't have to take these other plans that were low paying or whatever mix of patients you want to have. Let's yeah. know what you're getting reimbursed. Getting reimbursed if you have to say insurance is part of my practice because that's what I need. Then let's set up a schedule back over to my scheduling quadrant. Let's design a schedule for you that's going to get you what you need per day versus having a $7 patient in your chair. And the hygienist didn't even pay for herself that day. I said, people in your practice right now are just filling holes. They're not strategically scheduling based on what we know about our patients. So that's the level that I can take it to. It's time consuming, but if someone really wants to have the type of practice that they'd like to have with a higher per patient value and still have some insurance but be less insurance dependent, then no, you need to really need to know your patient base and the makeup of your patient base and even so much down to the age of the patient base. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think a lot of our listeners oh, they they want to they want to be what Jordan does, you know they they, <laughs> they want to be insurance independent. Me, you and I, yeah. Amy, we deal with insurance daily. Jordan deals with uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, the doctor that's trying to build the uninsured patient base. Do you yeah. see a lot of that on the rise? Are a lot of a lot of offices uh, that that you work with uh, building membership programs, in-house programs? Are they they building a group of fee-for-service patients or a patient base that is? Uh, not insurance based. Do you do you see that? Uh, I do see that increasing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, for example, this particular practice has the eight six six plan. I have sample brochures. I could say right now, easily over a dozen from practices that I have gone into that I say, "Tell me about your in house plan." Well, Great, here's yeah. our in house plan, and they're so off random as. To <laughs> what their plan looks like, whether it's a single individual plan versus uh-huh. two people versus family, and then what they're going to have to pay, and then what their payments or what their percentage discounts are. Oh, my gosh, it's all over the place. All over the place. <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. That's why Jordan's here. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why I'm – yeah, we, we see a lot of practices like that. And I've, we, I do a plan evaluation with, with the membership programs with a, with a lot of our customers mm-hmm. that use our software, and uh, they uh, – a lot of the times when they first come to me, it, their plans are just crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, if you can make this simple, it's going to be a lot easier to sell for not only your team members, but for the patient to understand what you're trying to sell them. You know, and, and we have that conversation. And most of the time I can talk them through it, but there's a, you know, a, a small percentage of doctors who after, after I get done talking to, with them about simple, simplifying everything and, and organizing it the right way, uh, they, you know, they, they do it, so, you know, in a small percentage don't, but, um, yeah, I see that all the time, Amy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, out here in Arizona, which is where probably 75% of my business is, I see that it's more insurance driven because of competition, because we have so many dentists out here population wise. 
they just need insurance to increase flow into their practice. Yeah. Yeah. However, sense. what they miss in that is going back to the per patient value. Is yes, absolutely. It, it, you could have a much healthier lifestyle and day to work if you knew your per patient value and had to be able to maximize the flow of patients into your schedule. So, Ben, you said something earlier about not really sure how the facility and the team work into insurance. Well, if you have more insurance, then you need more chairs to get mm, more bodies. True. Gotcha. Yeah. And then you need more team members to service more patients because you don't want a patient sitting by themselves. And so deal with the insurance my, companies. <laughs> yes. So from my perspective, it's the facility has to be bigger because I need more chairs, and the team has to be bigger. So now I've got overheads that have increased yeah. just to see more bodies at $7 a pop for right. cleaning. I mean, Yes. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that the profit margins have increased because, you know, yeah. the volume has increased. It's it's yes. very interesting. Yes, that's exactly it. I see how it all ties in together. And thank you for that. I, I was I was yeah. struggling to f figure out. So I, I, I get it now. Facilities. <laughs> I mean, there there are some some practices out there that buy a 16 operatory practice startup location, by the way. <laughs> startup location. Yeah. Goodness. And they have. A comb beam, uh, a pano, and they have all this amazing equipment. Probably spent well more than a million and a half in the build out. Um, wow! And 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 I'm not too. Sure. I mean, as a startup practice, I mean, Amy, you probably know better than me. But I'm thinking, gosh, I I probably have to have a big marketing budget to fill the chairs. Yes. And that's, absolutely. That's what they did. Is they signed up with every PPO plan. Um, yep. I, th I think the mistake that they made is they also did Medicaid. Yeah. And the problem with doing certain insurance plans, like you talked about, the value per patient is that if you encourage those types of patients to come to your practice and build a Medicaid patient base, it's going to overrun you. And yes. it's going to be so much more difficult for you to get out of that network. And now you've built a patient base that you didn't want. Right. So so what's your advice for as you're making this assessment on the patient side of things, the, the dollar per the average patient value? Um, if it's a if, if it's a PPO plan that where they have a lot of patients, but the, well m maybe not a lot maybe rank number eight on the list of third party payers and how many patients you have per third party payer or, or insurance plan, and they're uh -huh. and they're number eight, but the fee schedule is fifty percent off of what your standard office fee is and and you're priced reasonably, maybe in right. fifty or sixtieth percentile. Well, I mean, walk me through that scenario. What what, what would be the the common Amy? advice putting her hat on 50 percent write off on these patients you know <laughs> they're number eight wow. on the list what mm -hmm. i know there's a lot more in, in the analysis but there is but, but i start to slowly not pre-appoint those patients that would be the first thing and then i would build a scheduling template if i had to that defined the type of patient that i wanted in that chair Hmm. So, for example, within Dentrix, again, it's one of my favorites, I can put Met patient, Cigna patient, Delta patient, whatever plan that I'm getting the better reimbursement. And then when I run my recall list, I can see on the far right hand side when I'm trying to fill a schedule what insurance company they have. Right. So there are ways of really strategically knowing how to manage first of all the hygiene department I put so much emphasis on the hygiene department because that's where it all starts is 
you got to get the patient into the hygiene chair to find the restorative opportunities. So it starts with building a, a more solid hygiene schedule, whether it's a staggered schedule, whether it's an hour appointment, 40 minutes, whatever it is that you're going to do. You know, there's so many different models out there. I'm not going to tell you which one to do versus which one not to do until I understand your practice better. But you can determine how many patients that you need to see to fill a hygiene day. Let's just take the simple number and answer that question. So it takes, if I'm working an eight-hour day and seeing an hour appointment of patients, eight-hour day, we have two recare cycles that we have to fill, the first six months and the second six months, correct? Right. And I'm working Monday eight hours for a 24-week cycle because out of the 52 weeks, we work about 48. Gotcha. So divide your first six months into 24 weeks and the second six months into 24 weeks. Okay. If I take 200 new patients, let's say my practice gets 200 new patients in that six-month time frame, and I divide that by 24, that gives me 8.3. So it takes 8.3 hours to service 200 patients in a 24-week cycle. So I look at that and say, if I'm an hour appointment, in order to fill every Monday for a six-month cycle, eight hours a day, I need 200 patients. So now break that down into the number of hygiene days, 200, 400, 600, 800, at minimum, hour appointments, one appointment per patient. Well, now we're at a minimum of an 800 patient base to fill a four-day week of hygiene at 100% retention. Hmm. So when someone's, yeah, it can be very, very. It's all about the numbers. Yeah, Yeah, it's all about the numbers. It is numbers. That's why I went into the metrics and the analytics because people are people. I can change people and I can't change people, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the right people. We know how that goes. So So I get to that in my team, but when I'm starting to build a schedule based on the patient base that I have to work with, I have to really understand, now what's the makeup of those 200 patients? Is it 50% insured or is it, you know, 25% insured? Yeah. So it's a lot more than just deciding whether you want to balance the crown, the bridge, and the other stuff with with the exams and and, and some of the smaller, like fillings, for instance, right? Because I know that there's a lot of people out there that that teach scheduling uh, to not overwhelm the doctor, but stack the day in such a way where... Uh, the energy is commensurate with the with well the the the, uh, the excuse me the types of procedures um, are balanced and that you're not yes. overworking the doctor but yours is more yeah. a little bit more of uh, a, a, an analysis on the chair time the the, the chair the yeah. dollar per chair time um, yes. which I think is pretty amazing so the the, yeah, the question that some of the listeners might have on their minds is how how easy or how difficult it is for you to learn something like that? Is it is it tough to, to get into that, that way of an analysis? Or can you automate it a little bit? Um, I can teach people how to gather the data. And once you get the feel for how to gather the data, then you can regularly or intermittently, quarterly, check your database and see how well you're doing. And it's just a matter of teaching people how to get the data out of the system. How to get the data. Yeah. 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 I think that's important with any system, 
you know, with wh- whatever type of software that a practice is using, I, I think it's important to understand how to how to get that data and then understand how to read the data. I think is is very important. And you hear a lot of uh, dentists and other staff members that have no idea how to you know run these reports. Or, and yeah. you know when they run it, then they don't know how to read it, <laughs> right? So Correct. I think that's. And I that's, always say the numbers tell a story. Absolutely, yeah. I just told you the story of 200 new patients. If we retained all of them, what does that story look like? So if I got 200 in this six-month cycle, then I better be looking at building hygiene days out into the future if I'm good at retaining all of these patients. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So now you look at what's your retention ratio of these patients, and did I throw a bunch of deals out there? and just got a bunch of volume in the door, whether they were insured or not. And they didn't and stick or retain. Them. Yeah. yeah. It's all about retention. It is about retention. It's about understanding your patient data. Yes. I mean, I, I, in other podcasts that I've done, if people have heard me, I have said I could stand on a soapbox and talk about patient-based data until I was blue in the face because <laughs> that is where all of this starts. We are about the patients. We are about Absolutely, yeah. patients. Yes, we are a business and we have to make money. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes down to that part of what they're asking me to help them with, I can't be the person stuck in all your noise of this person doesn't like this person and all of that. All of that <laughs> is HR personnel stuff. Yeah, I it's have, HR, yeah. <laughs> yeah practice from a, a management perspective and an analysis and a strategy planning perspective to say what is it going to take for us to get here we have to have this 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 and this in alignment and then we have to have the chair space and the people and the, the patients to service within all of these so the the methodology that I have refined over the years that I brought to the D4 metrics was something that I learned in the past but I didn't really dig into it and wrap my arms around it until this last really three and a half, four years of helping compartmentalize data for people. Yeah, I like that. It just makes it so much easier. So if you threw something at me, whether it was a team issue or whether it was a patient issue, it would end up in one of my quadrants. So I take a notepad into the practice when I go in to do that analysis, Jordan, as you said, Mm -hmm. how does work, I go in, I've got a notepad, and I have tabs that are my team, facility, patient base, and schedule, and as I'm going through my day with them, I'm flipping through and going, okay, this is a team issue, flipping through, okay, this is a scheduling issue, okay, this is a facility issue, and I start putting my notes through that assessment of watching the business flow throughout the day in an effort to be able to start building what I call a strategy plan for them to begin to increase. So a lot of times, my first thing to do when I go into the practice is do that recare and that treatment. But in some practices, I've got to get money in the door fast. So I've got to get on the accounts receivable right away and, and work with someone on implementing a more strategic follow-up system in patient money and insurance money and get my money in the door so that I'm paying for myself. Yeah. And that is a lot of the time where I have to go. So there's so many areas of focus within there's many sub areas within those four quadrants but in 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 relevant in relevance to what we're talking about with insurance and how that is important it's really understanding how many patients are on what insurance plan can we drop some can we be less insurance dependent and have yeah. less 
volume coming through with higher per patient values. Yeah, we can talk about that all day long. All day long, all day long. As a matter of fact, uh, maybe not for this conversation, but uh, I've had today alone a number of talks with clients uh, that have two, two associates, owner doctors out of network with a particular company, and they don't have any reason for the associates to be in network with certain plans that the, the owner doesn't take. And so in, in many practices, I do see this where there is a PPO that pays very, very low and the out of network benefits. And if you, if you know what the out of network benefits are, or if you don't know, and you want to go out of network, that's something for you to consider is if you go out of network, what's your strategy? What's your plan? And these practices have figured it out. They just don't, they don't realize it that, wow, our associates are taking, still taking these plans. We need to cut them loose. We, we already got a process down right. for the owner yeah. that works really, really well. But I like what you're talking about, Amy, with the per patient value on the patient schedule and, sh and, and doing a little bit more strategy when you're scheduling treatment because scheduling, scheduling a crown that's only paying $490 in your day in a practice mm. that charges $1,200 for a crown really throws a wrench in things, you know? It's like, uh, yeah, come on, and guys. Now it's, got man. an hour and a half Sarah block out in the schedule, and yep. that's a $400-something appointment, whereas if I had a different type of patient in that hour and a half block, man, I could double what I'm making. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's sad. And so, yeah. It's unfortunate the insurance industry has, has placed it upon – um, the management aspect of dental practices to, to look at things this way. But the reality is, is, you know, if your insurance plan is only paying, is, is paying benefits that are not even close to what it costs to deliver the dentistry or good quality <laughs> dentistry, Goodness. there has to yeah. be a change in how these dental plans are written up. You know, I, I agree. I agree. 100%. I if I were a dentist, I certainly would not take a dental plan in an area. Let's say you charge your crown is $1,100 or $1,200. At some point, I'd be I'd be looking at the PPO fee schedules and not taking anything below a certain level. Otherwise, right. you're robbing Peter to pay Paul for the treatment yep. for those that aren't that have plans that just don't pay as well. And I don't know how how every practice does it, but there are too many practices out there that are taking five hundred dollar crown payments Perhaps. allowables, you know, in in in, pra in, in a practice where they charge twelve hundred dollars for the same type of crown for an out of network <laughs> for a fee for service patient. But anyway, Amy, um, we have a lot more questions that uh, very little time to go through them. I wanted to get your take just briefly on, so you do transitions. Yes. You, you, oh, cool. And, and I, can't, I, I can say that everybody, that every office that goes through a transition needs a good coach because I, I often see too much attrition. A, a, a doctor buys a new practice. And the new doctor comes in and they lose a bunch of patients. Yes. Is that what you, what you see? Big I time. see that a lot too. Yep. And one 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 big reason is just not having the right training. Are you seeing, like, I, I deal with the credentialing thing. So people contact me and say, Ben, can you help me get credentialed at this office? You know, and our firm isn't necessarily a credentialing firm. We'll do it. But our focus is negotiating fees. But right. if we don't have the time and the seller's not willing to participate in the transition, you know, we, the doctor has no, no choice, but to bill out a network, you can be creative and I'm going to lose, I'm going to maybe not, uh, too loosely use the, the, the word creative <laughs> when yeah. it comes to billing, you have to follow the law. You have to be legal. You have to have an agreement with the seller, but are you seeing a lot of problems in these transitions as it relates to doctors not being credentialed? Yes, I am. Um, it has been, well, I had a deal that happened about four months ago 
where the selling doctor was a premier Delta client. Yeah. Well, okay. we all know that they're not taking any more premier clients. Yep. Um, so yeah. my purchaser has to come in and buy the practice with an automatic decrease in the fee schedule reimbursement close to 30%. Oh, man. Wow. And that was the majority of the patient base. Wow. So already my my buyer who can no longer be who can never be a PP or a premier provider with Delta because they aren't doing it anymore, they will not grandfather them in through the purchase. So now I have to prepare my buyer to understand that you are automatically going to receive a reduction in your cash flow. Wow. Compared so, to the seller. I have a question about that. Yeah. Um, does that does that devalue the the practice for that buyer or or how? Because like, if I were going to buy a business and they said, well, once you buy it, you know the cash flow is going to suck, <laughs> right? Yeah. I would stay clear from that because obviously that's a very important thing you know thing to look at in a business. Um, does it devalue uh, to in, that to in that my buyer? View, yes, um, I would say from a seller side, they don't care. Yeah, they don't care Typically, on the seller side. They don't yeah. care on the seller side. They're just they want to sell the practice. They don't care whether or not you can be a provider or not, and it's up to you to make of that practice. But I caution my buyers to understand that in this process, and know that when you're getting into this, that's not something we can change. So you have to ah. have a plan in place, and. And how are you going to replace that revenue? And make sure that you get enough working capital in the purchase. Make sure that you know what your lifestyle needs are before you make that purchase. purchase yeah. And be really clear on what your needs are so that if you do see a reduction and how much of a reduction, the, excuse me, then what's that going to look like in you being able to service your debt? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah, it's so, smart that you help, you help practices with that. I think so that's that much transition, needed. There are many different transitions. There's flat-out purchase. There's bring buyer, you know, bring a potential future buyer in that's going to work for the practice for a while. Uh-huh. A transition can be just bringing in an associate that isn't a buy-in partner, but just a transition to bringing in an associate. And okay. there has to be things that are in place. So, for example, I have a client that I'm going to be starting with in August. Met her two months ago. And she said, I want to be able to do some more specialty work within my practice. And I'm considering bringing in someone to do more of the general dentistry. And I said, well, first of all, what it comes down to is patient allocation in the transition. You need to be able to go through your database and say, these are my A patients, my B patients, my C patients. These patients are Dr. A only. These patients are going to be Dr. B or these patients are going to be Dr. A and B. So how do you start to identify the allocation of the patients that are going to be transitioned over to the the new provider coming into the practice? And then how do we start to define those patients that you would see that are more specialty patients? So you've got to utilize your database again to be able to start what's the first part of the transition is the allocation. What patients will be allocated to the provider that's going to be coming into the practice? That's smart. Very, yeah, I think it's smart. Yeah, because most Very practices that I'm aware of, they, they just uh, kind of pick and choose. All new, all new patients will yeah. go to the associate or, you know, they'll just say whoever's wow. available first. Um, yeah. 
but there's no consideration, very little consideration on dividing or assigning patients based upon, you know, the doctor's, the owner doctor's preference at least. Right. So, and then we identify how many patients can one doctor service. Well, that comes down to how conservative or how more comprehensive they are in their treatment plans and how quick their hand skills are because some doctors can see 1,400, some can see 1,600, some can only see 1,200. Now that reflects into how many hygiene days that I need and then when do I need to bring in an associate based on how busy I feel. And then that bubble effect effect happens in the treatment side because I've got so much inventory that I can't get to because my hands are always busy in a patient's mouth. So I can't even diagnose because I can't spend enough time with the patient. So I can't even build up my inventory to have enough to give to another provider to come in. Hmm. So there's there has to be a really healthy balance in there of when you're ready for a transition, how do you know when you're ready and what does that look like? Yeah. yeah Amy, there's, there's so much you, you bring to the table as it comes. <laughs> I just wish we had <laughs> more time to chat yeah, more about transitions in general because I am I'm so happy. When a client comes to me and wants to get uh, credentialed for a new practice and fees negotiating, and there's just no time and there's no plan with the seller for transition for smooth transition um, you know I get nervous I get nervous with with doctors that get into that and I'm so happy when things kind of fall apart on the transaction side where the buyer finds uh, does more due diligence and finds uh, a reason not to buy the practice because you know when, when we deal with transitions we need time we need time to yeah. get the new doctor credentialed if if the if the seller's not going to stay around for a transition period, you know, um, sometimes a buyer can, 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 can get it in a bad situation. We have so many clients yep. that buy practices, the seller leaves on day one. Yeah. On day two, they start billing insurance. They start doing work. Day 30, they no. They don't know how to set up their system. Exactly. They have no clue. They, they don't know what to set the default providers as. Exactly. It's just chaos. Day 30, <laughs> there's no money coming in because they don't have a system in place. Oh, and they're out of network. The, the insurance company doesn't recognize the tax ID, the new tax yeah. ID that's being billed. It's just a nightmare, <laughs> a huge Man. nightmare. You need time and you need experts to help you through those processes. And Amy's one of them. Amy, if, if somebody had questions, I know there's a lot that we kind of uh, mentioned, but we didn't really have a whole lot of time to talk about everything. If anybody has a question about what we talked about for you or things that we didn't talk about, how do they get a hold? Uh, excuse me. How do they get hold of you? <laughs> they can get a hold of me through my website, which is under construction but still taking uh, inquiries at d4metrics.com, or they can email me at amy at d4metrics.com. And is it D4 like a? Uh... The letter D, D, D and then yeah, number D, four. D is in dental, the number four, and then metrics, M-E-T-R-I-C-S okay. dot com. And it's A-M-Y at D, the number four, metrics, M-E-T-R-I-C-S dot com. Perfect. Excellent. Awesome. I am generally with clients throughout the day. I have some admin days built into my schedule, so everything comes to my phone or my watch, just like everybody else. So as quickly <laughs> as I can, I will do my best to get back with someone. Excellent. And we will post awesome. all of this in the notes. If you're on iTunes, SoundCloud, or on our website, her uh, Amy's contact information will be there. Amy, thank you so much for being on the program today. Yeah, it was Amy. a delight Thanks and pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. <laughs> and we'll last. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. But hey, there was a lot of information. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yes. exactly what we look for. So nice job. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Okay, take care. Yep.